Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Kyle and I are very excited to have a very awesome special guest, Dr. Kenna Stevenson, today as our guest. Um, Kenna is a native Texan, graduated with honors from the University of Texas at Austin, and has practiced medicine in diverse settings, including inside tents with Texas Mission of Mercy, in a mobile unit in the East Texas minefields, in remote regions of Guatemala and New Zealand, and inside a movie truck on a Paramount Pictures set. Wow, that sounds like another podcast. Um, Kenna's career has included private practice, community medicine, rural medicine. She established a health center for female vets. Wow. Employee health and academic medicine. So Dr. Stevenson is board certified in family medicine and a fellow in the American Academy of Family Physicians. Her clinical research and publication topics include women's health, preventive medicine, healthy aging, cardiovascular pharmacology, and the holistic model of patient care. Kenna's research has been featured in Family Practice News, Cardiology News, OBGYN News, Medscape, and WebMD. She's consulted for Paramount Pictures, and um, did you get to meet any movie stars? And as the health expert for CBS, NBC Television, and radio affiliates. So, um, (laughs) need I say more, Kenna has a wonderful book that I was just rereading recently. Kyle and I have been rereading some of the chapters. It's called Awakening Athena. Resilience, Restoration, and Rejuvenation. It's an inspirational and practical guide to creating health. It's received international recognition. And also, Dr. Kenna just launched Dr. Kenna on her YouTube channel uh, just this year. So welcome, Kenna. It's wonderful to have you here. I don't, I'm sort of uh, bowing and scraping after that intro. But um, tell us, I, I thought maybe we could start out with the uh, a little bit of uh, your your um, thinking when you came up with the idea of the female archetype Athena in your book, Awakening Athena. Tell us a bit more of your thinking on that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kyle and Candace. Thank you for inviting me to join you on WTF. I can't tell you how much fun I've had telling people I'm going to be on WTF this week. (laughs) We're happy to have you. And to my little... My little nephew said, WWF. I said, oh, no, WTF. WWF. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And um, I've, I've so enjoyed listening to your podcast on Spotify. I have learned a lot from both of you that I can directly apply in, in patient care and in my own personal life. And so thank you for your message and your assistance that you're offering to women at all stages of life and all decades and phases. I decided to tap into the female archetype of Athena with my book, A Practical Guide for Women in Creating Health, because I think all women can access Athenian qualities in their own lives. We all have access to imagination, intuition, intelligence and 
we can use these skills and practical knowledge to overcome circumstances and to create the circumstances and the lives that we want, despite tremendous hardship, even the hardship of birth, such as Athena experienced. Uh, she came into the world in, in a very difficult way. Uh, no mother figure, hostile half-siblings, an absent father, and she underwent attack almost immediately on entry into the world. And for some women in my practice, it feels like life occurred that way. But look what emerged from those circumstances and look what she was able to achieve and how she was able to assist others in their own battles. She is the goddess of wisdom. She's also the goddess of war. And we need both in the fight for women's health, in the fight for the true science applied to women's health. And it is a fight. It's the good fight. Yeah, and I'm, I was so impressed. I reread uh, the first and second chapter of your book, and I was so impressed with your observations about women getting the short shrift in terms of medical research. We've always been put on the back burner, and there's been so little regard for women until in the last maybe 30, 40 years. So I, I, I'm so happy that you wrote this book. And even though it was written in 2004, I mean, it's almost, you know, what, 17 years old, and it's still so relevant today, Kenna. You were a woman before her time, for Ahead sure. Ahead of your time, yes. Well, that book is my youngest daughter, because writing a book like that is kind of like having a baby in some ways. I bet. And at, at age 17, I would say her powerful message still resonates. It is a timeless message and something that I feel very comfortable sharing with my colleagues and with my patients today. So I, I think that it's extremely relevant information. And can I, I want to ask a question. As a family practice physician, it sounds like you, at some point in your career, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, focused on women in your practice. Is that true? Yes, I was the director of women's health in several of my uh, professional career roles. Okay, that's great. Well, I was in the observations that I had about women struggling to maintain balance throughout their lives, especially through the transitional times. And I love the fact that you normalize these transitions of puberty, pregnancy, breastfeeding, and menopause, as opposed to labeling them as disease states. How do you help women identify obstacles in their lives and then empower them to take the reins back? I mean, we, you and I, as practitioners, have seen women sort of floundering after they've had a child or going through menopause. What is your tactic to helping women, you know, regain the balance? Helping them find the joy and beauty in all of these transitions and cycles and changes. Women menstruate, men don't. Women gestate, women lactate, and you know what? Women narrate. It is a whole different experience. And I think it's a very enriching experience. And I think looking at these experiences in the positive light, seeing the joy and beauty is really the key. I certainly noticed in my medical training that physicians and colleagues, students, residents seem to flee from perimenopausal women or menopausal women. I know it. They did not want to walk into that exam room. And I, I found it fascinating that women were so in tune with 
changes in their body and in the seasons, and they could report these very detailed symptoms. I mean, I certainly didn't hear this type of narration from everyday kind of patients. I think the menstrual cycle is tied in, of course, with the moon cycle and the tides, and it's part of our spirituality and should be embraced rather than despised. And I really rebelled against how women were categorized in my medical education and training. I I remember one professor, and I would say he was a high-ranking professor in women's health, and he said, all I need to know about women is have they started bleeding? Are they currently bleeding? Have they stopped bleeding? Hmm. That's all women are, just three bloods. Hmm. Well, I bristled at that. You said that was something you actually learned as medical terminology in your training, the three bloods? Yes. Well, how dismissive and is, then it, is that? That's so dismissive. And then in my culture of origin, it was the three M's. So it was the three bloods, the three M's. The hmm. M's are maidenhood, matrimony, and motherhood. Mm. And so that's how women were categorized. The walking womb. Vibrant. Yes, I saw vibrant women in their 40s that had never married and never mothered a child biologically. And yet they were very much alive and very feminine. It's it's amazing in our society. I think um, the old maid terms that have come out throughout the years, hysterical, those crown. very negative, uh, degrading terms that have women. And we often look at women going, oh, she didn't have a child. What's her you know, value as a human being? And I think that is such an important point to make. There are so many women who've chosen to not have children and just pursue different avenues in their life for growth and development. Candace and I were laughing before we, we were talking about, you know, etiology of words before. And I said, think of the word woman. It's womb and, you know, it's like a womb man, you know, a <laughs> man with a womb. And it's just sort of we we do focus Not on that funny. womb as opposed to the whole construct of what a woman really is. Um, We are different, and and these differences are not pathological. They're not aberrations. They're not disease states. They are who we are as women, and it is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It is miraculous. It is, and I was, you know, in my practice, um, one of the things that I was always aware of is when when we put women on these um, contraceptive methods and it stops them from having ovulation and periods that are physiologic, a lot of women um, like that so much because and they sort of begin to hate their menstrual cycle and they want to be without a period forever. And I'm always that always made me feel sad that we don't let women still have that menstrual cycle and define their lives in a different way. Did you find that as well? Um, yes and no. I would say I individualized my care, mm-hmm. and so there were there were circumstances. Uh, where really having the the technology and the abilities to delay a menstrual cycle or postpone a menstrual cycle or suppress a menstrual cycle for a period of time was beneficial to that patient. But I would say for the majority of patients, experiencing those ebbs and flows, those highs and lows, the ins and outs, the proliferation, the maturation, all the things that happen in the follicular and luteal phase should be lived and should be experienced. And there is a power in that, a mind-body-spirit integration. And that's what we were really going for. 
And I know I read that book. Um, I think Candace has read it, and you probably have too, Candace, The Red Tent. Back in the day, it was a book about you know how the Native American indigenous people would allow women who were having their menstruation, they would go into a red tent, and the rest of the women in the tribe would care for the children and do the duties and allow a woman the rest and restoration for during her period. We don't allow that in our culture. It's move, move, move. So it's kind of an interesting uh Paradox. Yeah, I agree. Um, I believe it's chapter two of my book. I, I talk about an award-winning paper that was presented at a medical meeting in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Mary Jacoby, one of the first American female physicians, wrote the paper. And it was a, an investigation regarding the menstrual cycle. And whether or not it was better for women to continue their activities and continue working or to take respite during the menstrual cycle. Now, what she found, this was an American study, probably industrial city-based, I'm not sure, but what she found, lo and behold, is that women had better health outcomes if they continued their daily activities every day of the month. And so she presented the paper and it won the prize, but then when they found out that it was written by a female, they didn't want to give her the prize anymore. <laughs> I saw that. I, I actually put that in my notes. And that was my one question for you is that she did talk about that. And, and I agree that women do do better if they keep exercising you know, and moving around, not missing work. But there's that other um, paradox of the indigenous people sort of allowing women to sort of rest. So there's kind of a combination that we have to give women when we counsel them. It's okay to yes, take some time I, off. I, I agree with you. I've most recently been working with Maori population in rural, remote parts of New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they have very strict, strict rules, um, especially as it relates to menstruating women. Uh, they are forbidden from doing certain things on the marae during the time that they are uh, menstruating. And so I, I respect that, and I respect those cultural contexts. Mm-hmm. And so I think I just explore the patient's own feelings, and we go from there. Um, I, my mother-in-law was sharing with me last night that when she was a little girl on basketball, and I'm a huge NBA fan. I'm always talking about basketball. Me too. She said the reason the, the girls had to play half court is because they didn't think they had enough breath to run the full length of the court. Oh, come on. And and that it might, you know, affect their in their female organs in some way, you know, too much exertion. And I think haven't we come such a long way mm-hmm. and that we we don't have those imposed restrictions. Well, I think we still have the issues with not enough studies done with women because we're seen as having all these aberrations. Um, But we're making progress. And I wanted to read a bit from your second chapter, um, just this paragraph, which I think dovetails in with what we're saying. The century ago, the average lifespan of the American woman was 50 years. Today, most non-smoking American women live to be almost 80 years of age. I think the average age for women is at 83 now, maybe a little bit. Well, I actually heard that if a woman is 55 years old 
and she doesn't have any major health problems, they're more likely to live to be 90. And I'm voting for that one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I want to live to be 100. The average age of menopause, however, has not changed since the early 1900s. That's around 50, 51. So today, about one third of an American woman's life is lived after menopause. That's right. We love that Jane Fonda, the third act. I just on rewatched the Talk. it. It's the best. Um, so we're living another third of our lives, or half of some people. I, I hit menopause at forty-seven. Uh, I'm sixty-eight. I'm planning. My parents both lived to be ninety-five. It could be half my life. Yeah, that's right. And those decades can be just as rewarding and fulfilling as in the earlier years. So, Kenna, in your book, you say that you propose a new definition of the feminine life cycle. So to replace the three bloods that we were just mentioning and the three M's um, to be replaced by love, faith and service, which are the elements of every woman's life, regardless of her socioeconomic status or ethnic heritage or educational level her medical history or stress level or her age. Tell us, talk to us more about your your new definition of the femin feminine life cycle. Yes. So in my years and years of caring for patients in different corners of the world, and I found these things to ring true, that women are motivated, tremendously motivated by love. Uh, they may not make a lifestyle change or behavioral change on behalf of themselves. They may not be so comfortable with self-love, but wow, on behalf of um, their partner, the spouse, the kiddos, their mother, their sister, their friend, they will do it. Uh, love is, is such a mighty, mighty force to tap into. And so I, I say, let's tap into that. Um, not just romantic love, but love of a cause. It can be love for the environment. It can mm -hmm. be um, love for a vocation, an avocation. And the second is faith, not just a religious or spiritual type of faith, but I'm talking about intuition, imagination, faith in yourself, faith in your abilities, faith in the future, having hope. And the third would be service. No matter where I am, if I'm in the jungle of Guatemala, after those women have worked hard all day, they are working again um, for some community gathering or helping with a young woman who's had a new baby or helping a family who's experienced the passing of a loved one, this tremendous service in, in ceremonies and in assisting and nurturing others, not for any type of remuneration, but just out of, out of devotion. And when women are in balance with those three, they seem to do well as far as the sense of well-being. Mm -hmm. And I would say the, the opposite of that is uh, what we might call fog. Um, so instead of faith, they're overcome with fear, just distraught with doubts and worries. And rather than love, it's feelings of guilt, of anger, of bitterness, of resentment. Uh, women that have high hostility ratings are known to have just a lot of negative self-talk in their looming consciousness, just ongoing all the time, self-loathing. And then when someone does something nice for them or, or gives them a, a, a compliment, 
they perceive that to be exploitative or manipulative. They have difficulty establishing relationships of trust. And then service, when service is out of balance, woman is just shackled with duty and obligation, and she's doing these things with a clenched fist and gritted teeth, and there's just not joy in that. So helping them get to those three pillars of love, faith, and service. And then if imagine an equilateral triangle. So you have love. At the top, you have faith, intuition, imagination. And then on the third point is service. And let's take some numbers. So let's put a zero by love. Let's put a 30 at the top by faith. Let's put a 60 over here by service. And then let's come back to love again and put a nine. So it's a nine zero. So what do we know about three, six, nine? Those are really powerful numbers. When you study sacred geometry, you'll see that. Um, what do we? How long is our gestation period as, as humans? Nine months. Mm-hmm. And so that first zero to 30, we come into this world. We don't know how to walk. We don't know how to talk. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We don't know how to climb a tree. We don't know how to ride a bicycle. Uh, we don't know how to zip a zipper. We learn those things. And then we go through our first puberty and menstruation happens and we start realizing that we're something outside of our mothers and our sisters and our grandmothers. We are our own being. And around 30, we're, we can say mature, mature physically, mature. We've matured emotionally. We've achieved a certain amount of independence financially, maybe in our first job or education. So then that 30 to 60 time frame, as we come down the equilateral triangle, 30 to 60, what's happening there? Starting a family, starting a career, uh, tremendous growth psychologically as we start to juggle all these tasks. So you have a full-time job and you got three kids at home and then mother-in-law moves in and then you get a puppy and then you're volunteering at the community center. But, you know, you love doing all of it and you're doing all of it. And, and you're starting to realize how to set boundaries and create goals. And then around 60, a lot of that winds down. The kids have moved on. Um, puppies grown. Um, things start to calm down as far as a lot of these external demands. And now you can go back internal again. And so the first part from zero to 30 is that physical growth, 30 to 60, strong psychological growth, and then 60 to 90, that is the time of the spirit. And this is a time we don't want to miss out when we can really tap into our spirituality in a way that we never had time for before, perhaps, to contemplate and reflect. And I had a patient recently say, well, you know, the M word, like I'm getting old. And I said, please don't say that. You are emerging You are rebirthing. I believe in the grandmother hypothesis. I've just been in the San Juan Islands with the orcas, and they're one of the few mammals like us that we hang around after reproduction. Like Kyle said, her parents lived into their mid-90s. She's planning to go. Candace said, I'm going to 100. Uh, One of my cousins just turned 98 yesterday, lives alone, drives, plays sports, cooks, tapped in, tuned in, alert, aware, living life. And isn't that what we want? Can uh, I but ask again, you, that search, I, 60 to 90, we are speaking the truth again, just like we did as little girls. You know, before we got to be 
12 to 15 and started wanting approval from others, you can start dialing back to that internal power, tapping into that intuition and speaking the truth and guiding others, using our words to bless others, to help them prosper, to help them heal. This, there's so much spiritual power in these, in, in this, the, if you want to call them um, the, the postmenopausal phase or uh, age of the guardian. But just like the Orca grandmother, she runs the pod. Uh, we, we can run our pods too if we don't spend our time trying to regress and go back, which unfortunately I see patients making mistakes in that and not following this timeline. And so then I'll just wrap up the image and, and I want Kyle and Candace to share more, but inside this equilateral triangle, I want you to imagine a spiral shape. So it starts, the little curly part starts down there at the zero 90 point on love. And then the spiral comes and it touches all sides of that equilateral triangle. And that is a woman's soul or her psyche. It is the subconscious that can connect to the superconscious. It's the part of her that connects to her dream world, dream life. And it is the first shape that a child will draw. When you give a kid crayon, it's a spiral. Mm -hmm. They make that. It's almost like a nebula in our galaxy. And if we experience a beautiful painting or take in a scene in nature that is just invigorating to us and that picture stays in our mind, that is the soul psyche part of the feminine life cycle. And it's there. And so when she is 90 and maybe she's lost the capacity to walk, maybe she's lost the capacity to talk, but in those touch points, she can jump back to when she was an eight-year-old girl, feeling the sunshine on her skin on a hot summer day and how good it felt to get a drink of water. And she can have those sensory experiences again and those moments of joy, even if she's in a nursing home. I've seen it. I've seen just women radiating tremendous power when they've lost all physical attributes. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see and behold. It's interesting. Um, in preparation for this uh, episode, I rewatched uh, Jane Fonda's TED Talk on the third act. I'm sure you've seen it, Ken, or listened to it. And she ta- and she did it right. She talked about how at 60, with Dove's Tales, with what you're saying, most people, and in general, not just women, if you really ask them, they're happier because they've sort of accomplished the work of their lives. And now they're going to move on to the play the digging deep, the spirituality, and there's not as many, hopefully, financial worries. And if you're healthy, that's always the ticket, isn't it? If you're healthy, you're only as young as how healthy you are, in my opinion. If you're a, a young 80-year-old and you're able to play tennis, go skiing, go walking, go hiking, hang out with your kids and your grandkids, you're a young 80. But if you're an old 60 and you have you know, all kinds of COPD or diabetes or arthritic, you know, really, it depends. You're laying the groundwork when you're young, that whole uh, zero to 30, your phys- you know, your physical growth and development, you're laying the groundwork for the rest of your life. Same with 30 to 60. By 60, all that groundwork has been laid for your physical health. So now, if you have done a good job, you do have that awareness and you have that potential to grow and grow. 
and I, I mean, I'm, I mean, Candace and I, are, and you are all perfect examples of that. We're women, we're of advancing age, but we all feel great. We love our lives. We're happy because we're involved. We're helping other people. That whole community service thing is so, so important. And the people that I've met in my practice over the years that are depressed or anxious, oftentimes they're not involved in community service. And they're sort of floundering and they're, and they're so distraught by the news and all the terrible things that are happening throughout the world rather than getting involved with the solution. They're just aware of the problems, yes. right? I write, I write prescriptions for volunteer work. Mm-hmm. I actually write prescriptions for that. <laughs> I know. And I start Great. with four hours a week with my patients. Perfect, perfect. And it, it is a powerful tool in my armamentarium. So mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with all of this. And there's a beautiful quote. It's so easy that I give to my patients. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said this, light up tomorrow with today. Light up tomorrow with today. Mm-hmm. And just as you said, Kyle, uh, you laid the groundwork for the decade to follow with, with the decade now. And so if you think about life that way, and every day is a golden link in the chain of our lives, mm-hmm. uh, you can light up tomorrow. You know, I was just thinking, though, um, of something I read in your book also about a woman patient you had who was so having such a hard time with her with her aging and she was obsessed with the liver spots on her hands and couldn't seem to to get over that and was you know pointing at looking at your hands and everyone else's hands and comparing herself and it's this self-loathing um that can happen as aging comes on my mother was like that she'd been very beautiful as a young woman she was a model and a dancer and a singer and as she got older she just started hiding out from the world because she didn't want anybody to see her, her aging. And she would she would look at her arm, the wrinkles in her arm, and say, look at this, what's happening to me? She just couldn't. So she spent the last 10 years of her life sort of taken to her bed, hiding out from the world when she had so much to offer. But I see that in a lot of women that I talk to. This, you know, you said the M word. I suppose you meant menopause, but the... Um, mortality. Or, morta- or mortality. But So there's the fear of that. But but also, how do we get around this, this um, you know, hating to grow old in this youth-obsessed culture? And then not to mention that so many women are just in terms of physiology, out of balance hormonally. And that doesn't help the mood or, or the outlook. I mean, it can, be, it, it can be sort of at a physiologic level what's, what's holding us up from experiencing our, you know, the best parts of ourselves, our spirituality, our dream world, being able to speak our minds and speak our truth or even know what it is. Yes, I appreciate you sharing that about your mother and also that case history on the patient for my book. So when, when we were imagining this equilateral triangle with the 0, 30, 60, 90 and the physical, emotional, spiritual, yeah, those women are really missing out. That's what mm-hmm. I was alluding to when I said the retrogression. So they're trying to go backwards on the female highway, <laughs> And <laughs> that's, um, that, 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 that's, that's like driving the wrong direction against traffic. Yeah. Um, so when you want to undo uh, normal aging, 
and it, it is a frustration and it's an impossibility. I think I, I, lo- I want women to practice self-love. And one of the things that I'm really prescribing a lot these days is Qigong. And I have a link to one of the channels I like on my YouTube channel. So if you go to my YouTube channel, Dr. Kenna, D-O-C-T-R, Kenna, K-N-N-A, if you look at my channels, you'll see Qigong. I'm not sure if either one of you do Qigong, but Qigong involves touching your body and uh, touching your hands. Like we talked about my patient that was obsessed with the mm-hmm. what she called liver spots or dyschromia, uh, brown spots of, that are very common on the back of the hands with, with aging. And so touching the back of your hands, touching your forehead, touching your neck, tapping on your rib cage, uh, I think women don't do body scans because they don't want to feel a lump or a bump or a wrinkle or a ridge. And this Mm. is the skin we're in. Like Mm -hmm. it or not, this is the skin we're in. And there are things we can do to enhance our skin. And we all want to be beautiful, just like your mother. My goodness, being a professional model, (laughs) what a standard. but you can, I, some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen are in their 90s. And um, there, there is this type of radiance, inner beauty that, that comes through women when they are loving themselves through every decade, through every change, through every transition and transforming. It's, it's almost like the, the beautiful butterfly that emerges from the cocoon. I mean, nothing we can create in, in a bottle airbrush can can compare to to that sort of beauty and every woman has the potential for that so qigong and i think is is very important we'll have to check that out um candace is prompting me i i sent her this very sweet quote the other day i bought this little book called inspiration for a lifetime and it's words of wisdom delight and possibility And, and on the chapter of age and aging this is a great quote by andy rooney It's paradoxical that the idea of living a long life appeals to everyone, but the idea of getting old doesn't appeal to anyone. (laughs) And I just think that's hysterical because we all want, we all talked about, oh yeah, I want to live to be a hundred. But of course we want to live, be older if we're doing well and we're functional and we're happy and we're living fulfilled lives. There's no point in living a long life if we're going to feel old and and act old. There's that whole thing. And the idea when you bring up these women with their liver spots on their hands, we've had an episode of how to look better, you know, using certain fillers and things. And a lot of women are doing that now. And that's great. But you can't turn back the hands of time on your whole body. Your face can look fabulous. But if you look at someone's hands or their feet or their legs, you can see the aging. It's inevitable. And we have to, like you said, there's a point you have to say, this is who I am. I still love myself. People still love me. They don't remember me for how I look. They remember that whole quote about how did you make people feel? That's who we are as people, not how we look. And we have to let go of that over and over again. And as we age, we definitely have to let go of that because we're not going to be our daughters. You know, We all have beautiful daughters and it's like, wow. That it's their time. It, it's their time to shine. Our, we we shone when we were young. Now we shine in a different way. Is how I look at it. Now we're in the shank oh. of our of our um, of our optimal aging, and and so being there um, 
we we have to embrace, I think, all the pieces of that that um, compass that Anne Morrow oh, Lindbergh talked do. about. And, and the more we embrace it, the greater our power. Exactly. Um, I, I just think so many women miss out. Mm-hmm. You know, going down the 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 path of of all the the fillers and the anti aging mentality, and I, I just I just I think we're they're they're missing out. Where are you and, at on um, that, Kenna? I wrote an, a blog called "Botox is not an aging aging is not a Botox deficiency." Mm, I love it. But but so, what is yeah, your view on that? It's we I, I play a video game. I'm actually a leader in a video game called <laughs> Clash of Clans. I don't know if anybody out there plays Clash of Clans, but if you do, mm-hmm. find me. Let's okay. battle. I'll tell and, somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a one one of the players in the game. They're called healers, and so they don't have weapons. They they don't go into the battle and you know, hurl a flaming arrow, but for the, the, those that do, um, they are lifelines. They are a life giving force. And so let's say, you know, one of the, the warriors takes a hit, um, gets wounded. You can bring your healers in and they can heal them so that they can go back onto that battlefield. And again, thinking the idea of Athena war wisdom, women in the 60 to 90, they may have some sort of physical limitation. So they can't get out there every day into corporate America or virtual world and uh, pull down a a full-time job, but they are lifelines for their granddaughters and their daughters and their daughters-in-law. Oh, can you help me? This employee did this, or I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with my budget. I know I'm going to be short this month. Can can you show me? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where our power is. We are those healers. We are lifelines. We can we can help them revive, rejuvenate, and get back on the battlefield. And I also think of that as a mentorship sometimes, too. You know, I play tennis with all kinds of ages of women, anywhere from like 40 up to 87 years old. Really? And it's uh-huh. so I'm smack in the middle, and it's fun to see the different women who are older than me and younger than me and how we all mesh, and there's no ageism amongst that. It's just, it's, it's a very leveling playing field, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fun to see these women who are so vibrant at 85, 87 years old, still having a blast and finding the joy. And, and however, they may not be able to move as well as the 40-year-old, but they're out here. They're having the time of their lives. And I think that's what we have to keep encouraging women to do. Don't say I'm too old for this. That is mostly going to be a state of mind, in my opinion, unless you're very, very sick. But we all can find some kind of joy, like you said, in video games. If it's if it's virtual play, that's virtual play. It's it's still something to do. But we play is imp- I, I think play is an important part of aging well too. Finding something to play with. You know, I just had this conundrum in my own life. I happily and proudly joined a yoga class in the town I live in, and I'm I've been to maybe six classes. I had never done yoga before because I was a skier for many years and really hurt my knees. So my knees are stiff. I used to ride horses. I fell on my shoulders, so my shoulder's stiff. So I would tell myself, I can't do yoga. So I've never done it until now. And the last class was really tough. We were doing some sort of movement called thread the needle. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell over on my side and I hurt my shoulder and I went home thinking, 
I don't, I don't know if I can continue doing this. You know, is this, what am I getting out of this? Am I really, is this good for me? Am I hurting myself? And I got confused thinking, am I, am I going to injure myself or am I going to strengthen myself? And there's, there's a difference between pain and soreness. I understand that. Um, and I, and I'm kind of in this state of feeling like maybe I'm too, not so much that I'm too old, but that I have too many injuries that they're all showing up now and I can't get through that. Well, remember we interviewed and we haven't released the episode yet, but we did interview a couple of physical therapists that dealt with exactly this issue. Yeah. Is finding the right, myself, my knee, since I hurt my knee and had two surgeries on, I can't do the lunges I used to do. But there's a modification that you can do. And maybe yoga, maybe uh, Tai Chi is better for you. So it's, or I think Qigong. It's, yeah, I think finding the right thing for you. Like, Candice, you love to swim. You still can do all those things. I think it's, again, it's like what Kenna was saying before. What can we do? As opposed to saying what we can't do anymore. What, what can, can we, we do? What can we right. still do? Empower, oh, right? What, empower, is, yeah, empower women. That is so great, Kyle. Uh, that is another another encouragement that I give to my patients. These are the words of Helen Keller. And some of you, you may have read her biography. You may have seen a movie that was made a long time ago. She was one of my heroes. Miracle Worker. Oh yeah. One of my heroes. um, She was, she developed uh, blindness and deafness in early childhood. Helen Keller did. And uh, her, her father persisted in finding help and finding a teacher for her. And uh, long story short, she became a world traveler, uh, prolific author, speaker, and motivator and spokesperson for people with disabilities. And what Helen Keller said, I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I can do something, I refuse to do nothing. Amen. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. You know, my son has a friend who, and he, when his mother was pregnant with him, um, she lost a lot of the amniotic fluid towards the end of her pregnancy. So this little boy was born like a pretzel. He had 17 surgeries by the time he was five years old, and he walked with a limp and he looked deformed. They had him skiing on the mountain when he was a young boy. This is a young man who's now a film producer. He's the same age as my son. He's 36, and he's wow. a phenomenal person because his parents didn't say you have infirmities he they said you have strengths and let's find them and that's what i think we have to tell those women who say i i don't know what to do i always say to them what did you do as a child what did you love to do did you dance did you run did you swim did you cycle what was it that gave you joy find that again as an older woman because there's something in your background like you were saying kenna and we just need to tap into it again so much and I can tell you just me as a practicing physician, you're, you're busy. You get weary, Mm -hmm. you get worn down. And sometimes just a woman's presence is so healing. I have patients in my practice that were confined to a wheelchair that were on portable oxygen that, you know, had severe lung disease so that they weren't able to say more than a few words at a time because they would get out of breath. But yet when they rolled into my clinic and I saw them in the exam room, just being in their presence was so refreshing to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just felt like I was rejuvenated and, hey, I can get out there and go again. So even women that have severe disabilities like Helen Keller, they can bring with their presence 
some tremendous power and assistance and be those healers and be those lifelines. And to your point earlier today about celebrating the attributes of being a woman, you know, I chose also to mostly deal with women in my practice, and Candace has and you have. There's something to be said for the amount of um, things that women reveal to one another in the office, and you learn, and I know that you've had this experience as is Candace and as I. People tell you so much about themselves in a very short period of time, and you share information. In many ways, I feel sad that for men that doesn't always happen, but that it just creates this incredible bond between women that we just need to remember how important that is and, and lift each other up rather than tear each other down over and over again. Yeah, I think in, yes. in, the, in the practice of balance, if we're trying to achieve balance, it's about so much more than, I mean, these are the things that, um, you know, are, are fundamental and essential. And I think, as what was I reading here, uh, the, um, the Athena archetype is, uh, is one that is trying, you know, an attempt to create balance of the, the power that we have, the strength without being... Um, you know, without being excessive and notorious for doing everything for everybody but ourselves, we have to look at the concept of self-care as well and look for inspiration. And I think that's what I'm hearing so much of from you, Kenna. You've put a lot of effort and work in your writings and in your work and Kyle, too, in her practice to help women find find mentors and people to to be inspired by things that trigger your spirit. I'm one of those people that feels like I haven't I don't understand spirit that well and it's something I think I'm in that phase now that I'm in that third phase I can start working on that because that it's but it's a practice and it takes um it takes understanding and inspiration and I thank you for this conversation. Um I would love to end on the note of, um, you know, balance is achievable and attainable. And I think we'd like to have you back for a second session to talk about some of the research you've done where we get down to the physiology of actually balancing hormones and and um, talk about your choice study, one of the pivotal studies out there, one of the few of women. Um, so can we have you back, Kenna? I would be delighted to join you two again on a podcast. I've so enjoyed speaking with you, learning from you, hearing your patient stories, and I'm excited uh, where this goes, and I would certainly love to be invited back. Thank you. Kenna, it has been such a joy to speak with you. I heard you speak many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but I never got to meet you, so thank you for spending your time with us today. We're looking forward to having you back. You are an inspiration to many. You are golden. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Woman Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. 
We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. And we also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.